Welcome in everyone to episode 139 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damon here with Matt and David. Uh, today we're going to go through some news and notes. We're going to uh, talk about a MLB record that was set. And then we're going to go over a kind of stat overview. You hear us say these stats all the time. Don't really or might not know the meaning behind them. So we're going to kind of go a little bit more in depth on them and kind of give some more background on, uh, on what we're actually saying week in week out. But, uh, before we get to all that, David, how are you doing this week? Doing all right. You know, it's, uh, it's been another bit of a crazy week, but in terms of work stuff, but I'm overall, we're doing fine. Uh, hopefully we can, you know, continue to watch some, some good playoff fight baseball, uh, as that's where my team is currently working towards. Uh, it's been nice to to see productive playoff level baseball from the, from the Cubs, and you know hopefully it continues. And I'm excited to get into some of this stuff because we're going to touch on you know some prospects, uh, and we're going to touch on you know the stats and stuff. Some of the feedback we've gotten about the podcast is, oh yeah, you guys use these acronyms all the time. What the heck do they mean? Well, hey, well let's answer that right now. How you doing, Matt? Let's uh let's start with that first. Doing pretty good. Uh, just uh hanging out. I went to the Atlanta Braves versus the San Francisco Giants game on Saturday, which was an awesome game. It ended it uh with an eighth inning home run that flipped the score, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And um and then uh yeah, it's been a pretty good week so far. I couldn't agree with you more, David, about work being crazy. My work's been crazy too this week. So um. But yeah, everything's uh, everything's going well. How how are you doing, uh, Damien? I survived a hurricane and an Woo! earthquake and a tornado and an earthquake and I don't know about tornado. The hurricane really wasn't even that bad, but um, yeah, survived an earthquake at least. But um, yeah, it was a fun week. I mean, just watching baseball. Um, the crazy weather on Sunday pushed uh, most Southern California games, the Padres, Angels, Dodgers, to have doubleheaders on on Saturday. So. Been without Dodger baseball for two days, so it's good to see them back today. Um, had the UFC fights this weekend, so shout out Sugar Sean O'Malley, coming a UFC champion. I've been one of my favorite fighters, so that was a uh, was a lot of fun. But ready to uh, to jump into this uh, this episode because we got a lot of interesting things, and really want to talk about some stats here where we uh, um, you know, use them all the time. But it's uh, a lot of fun for us to go back through, but. Uh, so let's go ahead and start off with the uh, unfortunate story. We talked or kind of hinted at it uh, last week a little bit, but uh, Wander Franco has now been put on administrative leave and is currently being investigated not only by MLB Baseball, but by authorities in the Dominican Republic for having uh, relationships with underage uh, girls. Uh, so obviously a very touchy subject here. Uh, Wanda Franco's probably done playing the MLB if it's proven true, but um, the Rays lose a high caliber player. Um, but obviously, we're thinking more of the the off field stuff and, and how bad it is. Yeah, it's a really bad situation. Um, you know, I, I won't speculate on exactly what the you know facts are and, and everything. You just you just never know for sure. You know, at this stage, but. Uh, you know the fact that he's been put on administrative leave, and which is obviously longer than the um, than just the few days he was on the restricted list. Um, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I think that probably means you know even if these eventually end up being false allegations, that he would be out for the year most likely while they investigate because we've only got a month left. And 
as Damian can attest from watching his Dodgers the last couple of years and the Trevor Bauer situation, the MLB does not move fast in these. And they and they honestly shouldn't because this is a really serious situation and they need to get it right. But um, they, uh, you know, it's it's it sucks. I, I hated to see it. It sucks for obviously we think about the vic- potential victims if the allegations are, are true. Uh, I saw where Hector Gomez, who's probably the most plugged in um, of the baseball uh, reporters out of the Dominican, saying that he is hearing from a lot of people that they'll be just shocked that if he ever plays in Major League Baseball again, and that the allegations are pretty serious. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. I'll let the investigation run its course and everything. As obviously, you know, I don't know the facts, but. Um, but yeah, it's tough for the Rays, man. They they've just had such bad luck. It was really like one of the worst weeks in Rays history because they had him and then McClanahan having to get Tommy John surgery. It's like right at the same time, just boom, boom for them, and it really just sucks to see. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it, David. But uh, really tough situation there. It, I can't. It's very, very tough to consider that it's even. If you're getting placed on leave at this point, he's he's just done, man. And that's a a guy who got extended for 181 million dollars, the the most expensive contract for the Tampa Bay Rays in their history. Uh, and you know they they kind of dedicated their long term future to Wander Franco, and he had was in the middle of his breakout season. Um, this is a as severe a fumbling of the bag as I can possibly imagine at this point. He's he had everything in front of him and now it looks like he has absolutely nothing in front of him. And the, you know, you feel bad for the Tampa Bay race fans, especially those who have staked their, you know, their really good season here, their playoff hopes on it, on this guy, he's their superstar. He's the guy that's, you know, getting his Jersey sold. You know, you think about all the fans who've spent a hundred dollars or more on the Jersey and, now it's, you know, it, it may not, it may be, it's not the guy they bought the Jersey for. That's for sure. So, um, you know, I, I do feel, I feel most, most badly aside from the, the victims and stuff uh, for the race fans who now, you know, fortunately for them, the race have a lot of good options, but you know, this is, this is their superstar player. This is a guy who we expected to be around in the majors for, you know, 15, 20 more years. Cause he was so young and now that that's not looking realistic so we'll uh we'll see what happens but uh, it's that's very very disappointing yeah and like matt said we won't get more you know updates on this for quite a while for probably a year or so it's just how the process goes here um and even then like he's most likely just done like i, I was talking to somebody else the other day and they made a good point about saying like it doesn't matter like he will always be labeled as this nowadays mm-hmm. Um, and it's just an unfortunate situation for everyone involved. And I really, really hope that it comes out that it's not true just because of the victim side of it. Um, but it, when you get to this level, it's almost always sort of true at at some point. Yeah. It it started with one and now it's went to apparently multiple, but like I said, we'll let the, the, you know, due process work its way out. But, uh, definitely not a, uh, a good subject that we wanted to, uh, to hit on. So that's why we put it at the start so we can move on and just have good vibes from the rest of the way here on out. There you go. Um, so let's, let's talk about a lot of call-ups that we've had happen, um, over the past 
week or so. We, we're past the date where their year of service time will uh, accrue for next season. So all these players will still remain uh, eligible for the rookie of the year voting next year, which is now a big perk because you get what I think it's extra picks per team. If your players are on yep. top 100 uh, prospect lists and get rookie of the year. So it's a big suggestion for teams to start it, waiting it, to keep these players, but also call them up at a certain time. It only comes out if they start 2024 opening day on the roster and win rookie of the year. Yeah. So this is the path that Corbin gotcha. Carroll took last year where he came up in September, got a cup of coffee, yep. spring training 2024. He was expecting to be on the, on the roster and he has been all season. And should he win rookie of the year, the diamondbacks should be the first team to get that, like uh, that extra pick. Uh, did yeah. the Mariners get it? They did. did they? Mariners got it. Yeah. Yep. The okay. Mariners got it. And, and the other thing, it was very unfortunate for the Braves that, Michael Harris won instead of Spencer Strider because if Spencer Strider, the Braves would have gotten the pick. Yeah. Uh, but they got it. But Michael Harris won, so um, he wasn't up on the big league roster opening day, which he shouldn't have been. He wasn't ready. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, the Mariners got their pick, and and I think the Diamondbacks probably get a pick next year. Um, they will if Corbin wins it, but he should. I guess but. Henderson's probably the favorite for the Orioles, you know, winning it. And Orioles would likely get the pick as well if, if he wins. So yeah. um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just start with uh, with Kyle Harrison per fan graphs. He is the 17th overall ranked prospect uh, in the system, number one on the San Francisco Giants, hard-throwing left-handed pitcher, uh, actually making his debut today uh, against the Phillies, I believe it was. Um, I know he gave up three runs, but, uh, Kyle Harris getting called or Harrison, sorry, getting called up, uh, for the giants while they're starting to flounder a little bit and trying to make that last second push for the, uh, for the wild card. Yeah. The giants have a lot of injuries and just their rotation hasn't performed all that well lately. And, um, you know, you kind of wonder, um, you know, they're, you kind of wonder they're looking for a spark a little bit and, uh, you know, Kyle Harrison coming up, I, it's tough with him because he is his stuff is incredible. He's ranked as a very high rated prospect for a reason. But man, he's got a sixteen percent walk rate in triple A as a pitcher. Like he's got a six point five walks per nine in triple A, a five twenty five FIP, a four sixty six ERA. Um so he hasn't really performed at the triple A level. Uh but you know, getting called up. You know, I, I don't know how he's performed lately. Maybe they like some adjustments he's made, but if he ever learns how to throw strikes, this guy has ace caliber stuff. He throws extremely hard. It's a wipeout slider. His changeup's pretty good. Like he's really got the, some of the best stuff in the minor leagues, and I think he could maybe end up being like a Blake Snell type of pitcher at the big league level. Um, you know, if he if he gets um. You know, if he gets uh, if he gets that control just a little bit under, because you know Blake Snell didn't have great control, but if you get it just a little bit under under wraps, he he could be a really good pitcher. Yeah, I don't know, Kyle Harrison. He should be should be good. Should be interesting to see how they use him. They they may use him as a bullpen guy, and and that would be a good way for him for him to get you know learning how to get whiffs at the major league level without you know walking a bunch of batters. Yeah. Uh, so next one we had was Fangraph's 47th overall ranked prospect, Mason Wynn for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, shortstop prospects, and they've had some, uh, been battling some injuries there. 
Uh, you know, was pretty solid this year at AAA so far, and then 500 plate appearances, had 18 homers, 17 steals, batted 288. Um, plays a solid defense, has one of the hardest throwing arms you'll see from the infield spot. Um, it's funny, he got his first hit and then Pete Alonso threw the ball in the stands, which, which is probably the most notable thing from the debut. But <laughs> overall, uh, Mason Wynn getting called up for the Cardinals. What do you guys think? I I think this guy is very much a... he's He feels like the type of player that shouldn't end up being a big superstar. His big skills are the throwing arm, like Damian mentioned, and the speed. Uh, so, you know, this feels like maybe he could carve out like a D Gordon type of career, except for, you know, good defensive shortstop, which is a fine player. And I think will be really, you know, a thorn in a bunch of team sides going forward. But, you know, early on, he's he's certainly struggling to put some power on the ball at the major league level. And I think he's going to be, you know, hunting those infield hits and those infield ground outs uh, that he can beat out in order to really drive up his batting average early in his career. Yeah, I think Mason Wynn's a guy that the tools are pretty loud. He's got a, you know, like you said, he, his arm is incredible. He's a good defender at short. Or he's, you know, supposed to be a good defender at short. Um, you know, I, I don't love his approach. I think that his upside could be like an Angelton Simmons if he just gets consistent at short because that arm is just incredible. He's got speed and range at short. You know, he's got to be consistent, and I don't think the bat will ever be elite, but he has good enough bat-to-ball skills to put up, you know, okay numbers, at least get to, like, a league average line. I think the question's going to be, is he able to be consistent at short, or is he just going to be a guy who flashes a really cool play every now and then and is inconsistent there? And then, you know, at the big league level, like, his approach at the plate is going to be a big deal, too. I mean, you know, I don't think he's going to strike out a ton, but I think that he could end up being like a really low on base percentage guy, even if he hits for like a 280 average just because he doesn't walk. And we'll see what happens. The Cardinals are usually pretty good about these, you know, middle infielder type guys like like Tommy Edmond and uh, that's been up. And, and they seem to be pretty good at getting these guys to be good big leaguers and developing, especially on the plate discipline side. Like you've got some guys like, like Brandon Donovan's another example of a guy who just ended up improving his plate discipline to be a really good big leaguer this guy's got more pools than them but uh we'll see what happens i think he'll be an interesting um interesting guy to watch he's gonna make some sports center plays probably but we'll see if he ends up uh being consistent there yeah so let's move over to another shortstop slash infield prospect in noel v Marte for the cincinnati reds he's the 71st ranked prospect per fan graphs uh, was acquired last year from the uh, Seattle Mariners in the Luis Castillo trade. Uh, this year at Triple A, a split time between Double A AA and Triple A. Uh, you know, Double A, he is batted two eighty one, eight homers, ten steals, so one fifteen WRC plus there. Uh, and then Triple A, two eighty average, kind of same thing, one hundred four WRC plus. Um, so overall, solid hitter there. Don't know if he'll stick at shortstop long term. I think that's been a concern before, um, but. Overall, the Reds getting another infield prospect in their already stacked infield. Yeah, Noel Vimarte is another interesting guy. I think he, in 2022, he took a step back um, with both the, the Mariners and the Reds. Um, his stats were still pretty good in high A as a 20-year-old, which is nice. But there were a lot of like questions about his 
you know, athleticism declining and him not being quite the same kind of, you know, body type and explosiveness as you would kind of, as they were kind of thinking he was going to be. So while he was still performing pretty well, they, they he got knocked down some prospect lists a little bit. And then this year he's performed pretty good. Um, the power hasn't really come around this year. He's played 89 games in the minors, only has 11 home runs. Uh, but he, in, in a, you know, about a 460 slugging percentage, his, his WRC plus, he's just a little bit above league average in the, in the minors, triple a in 39 games, he had a 104 WRC plus, but his own base skills are really good. He doesn't strike out a ton. I think he's probably going to end up being a pretty consistently decent player. He's still going to be a good big leaguer. I think, I just don't know if he's got the same superstar upside, but man, the Reds just have so many guys and it just feels like, I mean, this is just another one to add to the whole list of them. I mean, you got Dela Cruz and McLean and India and Encarnacion Strand and Steer and now Noel V. Marte. And uh, it's just crazy how many guys they have. So um, at some point, some of them are going to get traded and they're going to have to decide which ones they want to keep and which ones to use to improve the rest of their roster. But um, but this guy, uh, Noel V. Marte, it'll be fun to see how he does at the big league level. Yeah, I, I think... Noel V. Marte's got a really good chance to fulfill some of that prospective promise he was showing a few years ago. This is a guy that is getting called up at age 21. So, you know, the thing about our our understanding of prospect progression, I think it's skewed by the, the prospect of list mentality, right? You know, every players players are trending younger and younger right now to you know getting to the big leagues. And Noel V. Marte is a perfect example of a guy who, at age 19, was kind of dubbed this net next superstar. He was performing at a high level for his age. He was just you know this you know the next guy who could just be a you know the Seattle savior. And he hasn't met those expectations. And he's been traded since to Cincinnati. And he's kind of underwent some different changes. But this is a guy who doesn't strike out and he walks a lot in the minor leagues. This is the type of guy I can foresee, you know, carving out a really good major league career just because he's got a good plate approach. He's got a, you know, body type be damned. He's going to hit. (laughs) He's going to be a major league baseball player and he's going to do it well, I think. So, uh, you know, he was in the Luis Castillo trade, obviously. So, you know, that trade looks really good for, for the Mariners and for the Reds at this point as they're, you know, calling up some of the major pieces from it. So it's a, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in Noel V. Marte. I I just think we have to be careful when we start dubbing prospects as you know the next big thing at age 19, yeah. and then at age 20 when they don't show amazing skills, how are we just going to drop them off a cliff? They're 20 years old. They've got so much you know still to prove. So you know that's that's kind of my take on the whole prospect thing, especially at such a young age. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean that happens all the time. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the next prospect we have, which is Everson Pereira, uh, an outfield prospect from the New York Yankees was not ranked per fan graphs, but he's always had a solid minor league career. Uh, two years, double a, you know, first year at a 128 WRC plus a 144 last year. Uh, made it to triple a this year, uh, has a 312 average and a 130 WRC plus, uh, hasn't shown a ton of power, um, strikes out a little bit too much, but, um, Yankees have been looking for some additions to the outfield, uh, and offensively and Everson Pereira might be the guy to help. Him. Yeah. I mean, Everson Pereira is a guy who he hits the ball hard, but he strikes out, 
he struck out an absolute ton in double A AA and triple A this year and in his entire minor league career. He is the Yankees' number two prospect. But, I mean, it's just another guy with a huge hit tool concern for the Yankees. And uh, I don't think he's especially known as a great fielder either. So, I mean, it's kind of fits what they've got on their roster right now, which isn't great. But uh, we'll see what he ends up doing. I mean, it, you know, he's 22 years old. I mean, I think he you, you could have probably held him down in, in AAA, but you might want to go ahead and see what you got here with him. He's performing at a high level. You know, just on a numbers, on a you know traditional numbers perspective, even though he has like a 400 batting average on balls in play, he's you know I I, I wouldn't I, if I were a Yankees fan, I would temper my expectations for him coming up and lighting the world on fire. But you never know. So uh, good numbers in the minors. We'll see what he is able to do at the big league level. The Yankees uh, front uh, prospective. Uh, evaluation has come in under fire a little bit, given a couple of other podcasts and comments that have been made. AJ Przinsky's podcast yeah. in general had a, a former Yankees prospect on there listing out the, you know, the stats that the Yankees are using to evaluate players, both for major league, you know, transactions and for minor league transactions and minor league evaluation. And it doesn't bake in strikeouts. So, you know, Yankees prospects as they're learning and developing are not being punished for striking out a lot. And while that there's some method to that, right, where sometimes strikeouts are OK as long as you're, you know, performing well when you don't strike out, you can't build a team of guys who have too many strikeouts. That's just not a feasible sustainable solution and I, it, this this guy Pereira is definitely another one of those guys that just he strikes out a lot and but the Yankees are telling him to do exactly what he's doing right they they are affirming his developmental process of striking out a ton but using that those strikeouts as a hacks to hit the ball all the time at, at 100% and that's that's just not going to be a sustainable way to build a baseball team and we're seeing those struggles uh, you know bring the Yankees down this season and I think it's no it's no surprise that this is now an under 500 team it's not been able to sustain you know losing Aaron Judge for a big chunk of the season that's it's very clear that the the Yankees have some flawed issues when it comes to that and and I worry that this call up is just another one of those uh you know types of guys that is not a not a you know reliable hit tool type of player yeah, so let's go ahead and jump over to our uh, to the last prospect that we had called up this week, and that was Nolan Schaunel, uh of the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, he's not ranked for the Fangraph system as yet either, uh, but that might partially be because he was picked 11th overall in the draft just uh, a little over a month ago, uh, and he's already got called up to the major leagues. Um, he's looked pretty solid up there so far. 250 average, uh, hasn't slugged a lot. So the WRC plus looks kind of low at, at 270 or at 79. Um, but, um, you know, we saw them do this last year with, uh, Zach Neto and then Ben Joyce, uh, got called up as well earlier this year. Uh, so Angel's doing another Angel's move and calling up prospects incredibly, incredibly fast. I want to note that uh, when we had Greg on to talk about the MLB draft, the guy he pegged as a really good first round pick, you know, might have gone to the Cubs, might have gone to other teams was Nolan Shaniel. Um And he mentioned that his, you know, he was the type of guy who could be up really fast, but he was thinking, you know, 2024, he wasn't thinking this quickly. I mean, Shaniel only 
played a couple of games in the minor leagues. This is a very quick call up, but it's the Angels trying their best to get going on uh, trying to get back into the wild card race in the AL. I don't think it's, you know, I think it's kind of flailing at nothing. I hope it doesn't harm Shawniel's development, but he's an advanced hitter. He ought to be able to to hold his own. And the Angels are kind of pioneering a new way to to draft, which is draft players that can help you this season and next season, right? Like it seems that that they're trying to take a a different approach and you know go for guys who are maybe a little undervalued or for, that other teams would think that they need a longer development path than the Angels foresee. And uh, it's yet to be determined whether Nito and Shaniel are going to you know, flourish from this or if they're going. This is going to hurt their development, but they're essentially developing at the major league level, and I. You know, if they can handle it, I think that's going to be uh, it's going to shift the way other teams draft going forward, I believe. Yeah, I'll say that I think that Chanuel and and, and NATO to that level were both guys who are uh, were the most college ready. I mean, the most pro ready prospects in their draft coming out of college as upperclassmen like. Uh, you know, they were very pro ready coming out of college. And, and I mean, you look at Shanuel, his numbers, he only played what 21 games in the minor leagues, but I mean, he had like a 20% walk rate. So, and only like a 10% strikeout rate. So it's like, and, and then at the big league level in his first three games, he's got a 14% walk rate and a 7% strikeout rate. So, you know, seeing the pitching and everything has not really been affecting him so far. Uh, and the projection system show it like Steamer projects him at a 120 WRC plus the rest of the season, which is crazy for a guy who's played like 20 minor league games and then three big league games. Like it's hard to believe, but uh, this is interesting. I mean, the, the Angels obviously, you know, they've had such major first base struggles this year, um, and it's it's tough. It's been tough for them, but. Um, you know, I, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's definitely a guy. He he seems like he's probably not going to be overwhelmed at the big in the big leagues, which is kind of what you would worry about at, for for somebody getting called up so quickly. Is are they just going to get overwhelmed and lose their confidence? And if that's not the case, if they can at least hold their own enough to not lose their confidence and to stay at the big league level, then it's really a good thing to do. But you can also call somebody up early, have them kill their confidence and they take some forever or they maybe never give it, get it back. I mean, you know, Joe Adele, I mean, this is an angels example that, that they did that with. He was not ready. They called him up when it was pretty obvious he wasn't ready and he just, it just killed him. So, um, we'll see what happens with, uh, Shanuel, but uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely an interesting guy to watch. Yeah. So let's use this as a way just to, to really quickly talk about, uh, one of our, or, each of uh, each of us will pick one uh, next prospect that we kind of want to get called up and see what he has uh, here down this stretch run. So we'll go ahead and start with David. So David, who's your one prospect that you would want to get called up? I, I'm going Homer, right? I'm, I'm going with Pico Armstrong. Uh, and it's because Pico Armstrong got called to triple a 17 games ago, and he has put together a 17 game on base streak with a, you know, a 140 WRC plus an absolutely elite defense in center field i think he's gotten the best defense rating by pipeline two years in a row now um they are really convinced this guy's just going to be the best defensive center fielder in baseball as soon as he gets to the major leagues basically right like the fact that he has gone into this season and he began not walking at all 
and he has since been walking at like a 10 to 12 percent rate after it was kind of pointing everyone was kind of pointing out oh Peter armstrong can't can't take walks he just swings and misses a lot this is like this guy is fiery he's he's got a kind of an antagonistic side where he's going to go out and prove anyone who says anything he can't do it he's going to go out and prove him wrong Uh, i think he's going to be a fireball as soon as he gets to the major league level and you know jumping on a team that's kind of in a playoff race could be the kind of spark they need to really jump forward. And it'll allow Cody Bellinger to kind of sit at first base, you know, for most of the rest of the season, you would think if they give Pete Crow some, some regular at bats, it's just exciting. It's an exciting time where this is a pretty clear consensus top 10 prospect right now. And he's on the cusp. I want him up. Yeah. He'll, he's an exciting guy to watch. Um, I, I don't, I know that was a homer pick for you, but I don't really disagree with it totally. So, yeah. uh, but the guy I picked uh, was I wanted wanted to go with Paul Skeens. Um, he was drafted this year, and I think a lot of people kind of thought he might be the first one from this year's draft class to make the big leagues. And then the Angels did Angels things, but uh, Paul Skeens is a uh, you know just his stuff is unbelievable. Throws a hundred. Uh, his slider is incredible. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. Uh, just he's everything you want in a pitching prospect right now and um he's been compared to steven strasburg coming out which is crazy uh and and garrett cole for that matter as well and uh we'll see what happens with him i I think that the pirates have put him in double a now and you know the the one thing that's tricky with these college pitchers is they just pitched a long college season so you know he's well over 100 innings pitched this year already so you know they try to limit his workload especially if they're not really in the playoff race he's not really going to help them at the big league level but they might call him up and give him a i'd like to see him call him up and give him a couple starts because i think he's ready already i I think he could be pitching in the big leagues like right now at at a pretty i mean i won't say like an ace level but you know i think he he he's definitely gonna capable of holding his own right now in the big leagues so uh, throw him out there and give him a couple starts and see what you got, you know, and, and then next year, you know, he could be your ace opening day. Him and Mitch Keller could be like a really good top of the rotation for them to start the year next year. So uh, definitely like to see him come up. Yeah, Skeens would be a really cool one to get called up and to watch him, especially as a uh, as an LSU fan. Watching him dominate down there, uh, seeing him come up to the major leagues would be fun. Uh, so before we were kind of prepping the show. I kind of had two names. I had Kobe Mayo and Junior Caminero. And then I've been sitting here thinking, and I'm going to not pick either one of them. And I'm going to go a little bit, um, not out there, but maybe some people will say it. Hank and I, my buddy, we have been talking a lot. He is an Orioles fan. Uh, and we have been saying, I've been telling him he's crazy, but you know what? Let's Don't go for it. it. Call up Jackson Holiday. <laughs> Man. This guy at double A, he's batting 350 this year with a 550 slugging and a 164 WRC plus. Every single level he's been at that he's got substantial playing time, he's batted over 300. I mean, A ball, 67 plate appearances. I guess you can't call that substantial, but still 396. A ball, A or high A this year, 314, 161 WRC plus, and then double A. 350, 164 WRC plus. And he's not striking, I mean, he's striking out, what, 20% of the time, and even less than that, walking 13 to 15% of the time, too. Like, it's crazy. He's 19, was drafted number one overall last, last year, but 
I mean, he's proven that he can hold his own so far. And if you really want to get a jolt into that Orioles team that's already being so so good so far, we've already seen them call up. I mean, Gunnar Henderson's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. We've seen him call up Joey Ortiz. We've seen him call up um, Jordan Westberg. Like, let's throw let's throw Jordan, uh, Jackson Holiday out there as well and see what he can do. I don't hate it. I mean, makes sense to me. I don't hate it. I think he could hold his own. He probably could. I mean, the projection systems already have him at like a league average major league hitter, and he plays shortstop. So it's like he's already a good. He probably would hold his own pretty well. Yeah, I think he would. Uh so some other little <laughs> news and notes that we had real quick um, was Paul DeYoung was one of the the Blue Jays' probably biggest trade piece. Not big. I guess they got Jordan Hicks too, but um, they traded for him to give them in some insurance with Bo uh, Bichette's potential injury well they dfa'd him after i don't even remember how many games it was like 12 games or something that he played for them uh he turned around and today signed a major league deal with the san francisco giants uh probably won't be the starter there but just another kind of depth piece there as well uh and then david kind of hinted at it last week that stroman um had kind of had a setback well it's come out that he has a right ribbed cartilage fracture no timeline um is set for him, but if I'm not mistaken, that's what kept Jose Quintana out for most of the year so far. If I'm not mistaken. I think yeah, so. I, I think so. At least so. it was into, into July, so that happened in spring training, so could potentially be a longer-term injury that might keep him out for the year. I would I think go ahead and wager he's out for the year, at least until I think the playoffs. That's what, uh, I think that's what happened to his Chris Sell last year, yeah. one of his like six injuries, but I think it was the one that kept him out the longest last year. It's not good. No. Uh, So anyways, those are two other little notes that we had. So uh, let's go ahead and jump and talk about some front office moves that we had happen. Um, So yesterday it was reported that the Nationals uh, were going to extend Davey Martinez, their manager, and were close to a deal to uh, extending GM Mike Rizzo. I'm just assuming that that's probably going to happen. And then today we got that the White Sox fired president Kenny Williams and GM Rick Hahn. Uh, and guys, I know we talked a little bit about this. I believe it was last week uh, with the White Sox here, but uh, it was—is it any surprising that today they made the move to fire those guys? No, it's surprising that it took them this long too. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad in, in some ways because for them, because you know that Ryan Storff has been probably holding them back from doing a good job. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like it's one of those lose lose. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like how. Um, the Astros were last year where like their owner decided to fire the GM who was built that powerhouse because he disagreed with him. Like it's, I mean, it just, when the ownership gets involved too closely, this type of thing happens. And then, you know, the GM president ended up being the fall guys for it. So, I mean, I think the white Sox, I think they did a, a pretty decent job building up a good talent pool. And then the owner jumped in and did, made a bunch of stupid decisions that kind of killed everything. So, I mean, I, I don't think that it's uh, – I mean, I feel bad for them. But, I mean, obviously they didn't do a great job. They had some issues there. and um, But it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate to see people lose their job. We'll see where the White Sox go from here. Yeah, and conversely, you see two two organizations heading in opposite directions, right? The White Sox are kind of heading this teardown, yeah. rebuild – um, new era and the nationals are, are keeping Davey Martinez are keeping Mike Rizzo 
you know, Mike Rizzo's had to make some tough decisions, but you know, James Wood's a top five prospect in major league baseball right now. And, you know, CJ Abrams, we talked about him last week, kind of coming into his own a little bit in terms of starting shortstop. The Nationals have some talent, right? And and this is a, a farm system moving its way into the top 10 in the ranked farm systems. Dylan Cruz is coming soon as well. You know, I like keeping that stability going forward because it's going to be really, really interesting once we get a, uh, you know, once we get some of this talent for the Nationals up into, you know, the major leagues. Yeah, the one thing I will say about Rizzo is that he he is made he it, it's weird with him because I think he's done a decent job in, all in all, but he signed the two worst contracts in baseball, uh, or maybe maybe not with Rendon and the Angels now, but like Corbin and Strasburg are just horrible contracts that he signed. And Cor- Corbin won a World Series though. I, I don't I don't feel be, like that one's all that bad. It, he what, just fell off it, a cliff. There's not really anything you can yeah, do. I mean, it's just it depends on. It depends on how much Corbin had to do with that World Series, but either way, like he I mean, was part of it. Yeah, I mean it. It's tough, but you know the Strasburg deal was really, really bad. Yeah. Of course, it was. It was either Strasburg or Rendon, and they there wasn't really a way to choose well there. <laughs> but I mean, they could have just saved the money and signed Juan Soto to an extension, like. But uh, there's and there's been some things that he's done, but he's made some bad trades in the past, like he traded. Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez for uh, for uh, Adam Eaton, who was just okay for them. Like, there's been some moves like that that he's made. But I mean, at the same time, last couple of years he's done pretty good. I, I don't hate it. And I mean, Davy Martinez, I think they have a pretty good clubhouse culture, and you know, they're a solid, you know, they're a solid franchise. Uh, I mean, they're a solid, you know, team this year compared to what we expected. So, I mean, I, I think David Mar- Davy Martinez has done a good job for them. Yeah, I mean, won a World Series, and yeah. I think he's done. He's really kind of helped them perform to the level they probably should perform at, and even at times probably better than they probably should have yeah. um, for Davey Martinez. So, um, uh, so next part of news that we had was that Mike Trout got activated today uh, from the IL. Remember, I believe it was July. Was it fourth, fifth? something like that something like that it was right i know it was right around my birthday and i was at the way, game so huh? way too damn long it's been way too yeah. long but um it was sometime in early july that he broke his handmate bone uh, against the san diego padres uh so he's now been activated and a help for the you know mentioned a little bit earlier with the sean Yule call up but the angels trying to fight for their life here and, and make that push for a wild card potentially um and getting back mike trout who might be the best player in baseball still question mark but uh no, they're gonna need his help well besides shohei besides shohei okay? he's he's pretty decent yeah. <laughs> hopefully he's, hopefully he's not he's not off now after the handmade bone injury yeah. and he can come back and, and yeah. give the angels as much as he's got left Listen, there's going to be a Shohei category, and then there's going to be like the best in baseball, and we're just going to count Shohei as his own thing, okay, from now on. Fair <laughs> enough. But uh, yeah, I mean, Trout coming back is is big. I mean, I, you know, I do wonder if Trout didn't get hurt and Taylor Ward did get hit in the face and get hurt, and you know, I won't even say Rendon stayed healthy, but because we knew that wasn't going to happen. But like, if those two guys had stayed healthy, I do wonder if the Angels tank like they have over the past month because you know it's been unfortunate 
I think their starting rotations let them down a little bit. Love late has, too. But at the same time, like they've had a, they've had several games that they could have probably used Mike. You know, they they would have won. They've had several close games, and they probably would have won s- several of them with Mike Trout. I mean, probably. Um. So let's move on to our next one, where we had Julio Rodriguez this past week set an MLB record, having 17 hits in a matter of four games. Uh, I know one of them was a five for five, and the other four for five. I think those were both in the same day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if you guys know, I'm looking. Um, but otherwise, still, it's insane. 17 yeah. hits in, in a four yeah. game span. It's averaging over four hits a game. <laughs> yeah. Four, five, four, four. Four, four for five and four for four. Okay. Yeah. And um, they were all four to, four days in a row. 16, 17, 18, 19. So but, eight for eight for nine in that stretch or whatever. He had two home runs as well. Uh, yeah, so we didn't pick him for player of the week because uh, that would have been too easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk about him now. But, yeah, uh, he's... Yeah. It's about time, right? And he, he, this, this stretch has coincided with the Mariners making a monster gain in the AL West. They are now two games out of first place behind the Rangers, and they're in the third wild card spot right now. So, this is a huge development that we mentioned it, like right last week when on our breakdown we mentioned it. If Jose Rodriguez can turn it around and lead this team as the superstar we know he is, they are going to get in the playoff race. He has done that. They are in the playoff race fully. The Mariners are one of those teams where that pitching is so good. If they get in the playoffs, they're going to be sneaky good. Yeah. Um, Julio Rodriguez did not play to his Julio Rodriguez expectations that we've, that we came out of last year's rookie of the year Mm -hmm. season. And that, you know, had a 146 WRC plus last year and everyone expected him to repeat that. And he hadn't done it this year you know, for, for most of the season, but over the last, you know, few couple weeks, two or three weeks, even he's really started to come along and, um, you know, obviously 17 hits in four games will do a lot to uh, do a lot to bring his numbers back up, but he, he's been really good lately. And, uh, you know, also I, we're not going to talk about him e- either, but Teoscar Hernandez was a guy that they were talking about trading at the deadline. He's been really good lately too, for them. So they chose to keep him, and it looks smart. And this team is like – I mean, the Astros are really struggling right now, and they just got swept by the Mariners. I mean, this team could – this Astro, this Mariners team could – they could do it. I mean, they could win this division. They're only two mm-hmm. games out now. I'll be very surprised if they don't make the playoffs at this point. Like, they're playing really, really well. They've got the pitching. Everyone freaked out when they traded uh, – when they traded their, you know, Paul Seawald, but they, they traded from strength and they got a prospect and they got a couple of major league players that, that have been on their big league roster. So it's not like they traded him for only prospects. Like they got big league players to, to help their offense, which is what they've needed all year. And um, we'll see. I, I'm excited to see what they end up doing. Um, it's they've been a fun team lately. And, you know, it's kind of reminding, reminiscent of last year when they started so slow and came on strong and obviously didn't win the division, but they made the playoffs for the first time in however long. And uh, it'd be fun to see, but definitely Julio Rodriguez is going to play a big part of that. And 17 hits in four games is just like, just out of this world. So before we move on, I want to note that since July 1st, he is hitting 346 with a 393 on base, a 555 slugging, a 164 WRC plus, 
eight homers, fifteen stolen bases. That's that's very good. That's yep. that's what you need. Absolutely. A lot of that is buoyed by the last couple of days, but still, I mean. Well, yeah, but you know. But that coincides with the hot stretch. So. Yeah. yeah. Um. So let's go ahead and jump over to our kind of stat overview here, uh, and the stats that we want to talk about are uh, WAR, FIP, uh, XFIP, BABIP, WRC plus, WOBA, outs above average or OAA, and then DRS, which is defensive run saves. So we say these stats all the time. So what do they actually mean? So all of these definitions that we're going to, or that I'm going to say are from MLB.com itself. So if you want to go look them up and kind of understand the formula and stuff, there's more information that we're not going to actually say, but all of these are from there. So let's go ahead and start with war. And the definition is war measures the player's value in all facets of the game by deciphering how many more wins worth then he's worth more than a replacement level at the same position, i.e. a minor league replacement or a readily available fill-in free agent. Uh, For example, if a shortstop and a first baseman offer the same overall production on offense, defense, and the base pass, the shortstop will have a better war because his positional position sees a lower level of production from replacement level players. Yeah, so, you know, war is kind of the way you, judge a player's overall value i think it's kind of the way we we do it and there's two different types there's b war and f war baseball reference is one site that does war and then fan graphs is the other site that does war they calculate them a little differently fan graphs uses a uh, fit for pitching war uh whereas which we'll talk about in a minute and then uh the uh and then baseball reference uses just your era and then your um Fangraphs uses for their defensive value. They use outs above average, which we'll talk about as well. And then uh, baseball reference uses defensive run save, which is another stat we'll talk about. But so there's a little, there's a couple different types of war, and, and they can make a big, pretty big difference. I mean, I, I saw Hassan Kim's got like a one and a half war more than um, than uh, than on baseball reference than he does on Fangraphs. So it can make a pretty big difference. Yeah, and I I want to note that. Pitching war and and hitting war are a little bit different, and then you know you're not going to want to use war typically when you're looking at a reliever because the sample size is so small. And war is very much a season long type of calculation. It's it's tough to to count quantify in you know in terms of wins over the course of like one week or one month even. You know you want to start looking at that for seasons and and careers. And I think that's one thing that we do really well is we kind of look at that for uh, Hall of Fame cases and stuff. War is has been a very strong. Uh, metric used to determine whether or not you know players are kind of you know, looking at Hall of Fame eligibility. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so the next stat that we wanted to talk about is fielding independent pitching. Um, it's one of the peripheral stats that we use. So the definition of it is FIP is similar to ERA, but it focuses solely on the events a pitcher has the most control over: strikeouts, walks, hit by pitches, and home runs. So it entirely removes the results of balls that were hit into the field of play. For example, if a pitcher has surrendered a high average on balls in play, his FIP will likely be lower than his ERA. Balls in play are not a part of the FIP equ- equation because the pitcher is believed to have limited control over their outcome. <laughs> Yeah, so FIP we use because basically when you hit a line drive, uh, or if you hit, if you hit the ball in play, you know the defense makes a big plays a big factor in whether or not it becomes an out. And I mean, you look at some some teams like the Phillies, 
They have really, really poor defense, so they have pitchers that are underperforming their FIP a lot, a lot of times, uh, with when that comes to their ERA. But FIPs basically it's estimating what your ERA probably should be based on those three true outcomes. Um, and you know, it, it's not a perfect stat because you know there's a difference between giving up line drives that are hit at 105 miles per hour and giving up weak infield choppers. So, uh, but, you know, the home runs kind of coincide with that but um but yeah fip is a fip is a pretty good stat and it's you know it's usually a pretty good indicator of your future performance uh like unless like i say you're there's there's reasons you can explain a, a good fit pitcher having bad era and stuff too but uh it's definitely a pretty good stat fip is good if you you know it's good in in combination in tandem with era in my mind right because you know, we've used era and we're not going to explain that one right earn rate average we're gonna, fip is just an estimator of of era and so if you combine those two statistics you can usually paint a better picture of what a pitcher is doing uh you know for a season or you know even in a certain stretch for example right um you know, Aaron Nola is typically a guy, and he, he's again this year where his ERA is much higher than his FIP, and you know that can kind of tell you, well, he's getting bit by his defense, right? He's getting bit by you know the things that he can't really control, and he can't, and he those can't control, he can't control that Kyle Schwarber doesn't catch the ball when he gets a fly ball hit to the outfield. Exactly. So that's what you'll want to utilize FIP for in in this case, and I. I I think it's a good metric. I think it's certainly very helpful in determining whether, you know, a pitcher's getting that good defense or not. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the XFIP, which you hear us use all the time. The only difference between FIP and XFIP is that uh, XFIP uses the home run rate that uh, instead of the actual home runs allowed, they they go over the rate of, of the season league average for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. uh, it just basically is another metric of like, Hey, we know you've given this many homers, but how many homers is the league average giving up um, per fly ball rate or whatever? So, yeah. So ba- basically, like if you have, you know, the pitchers can have bad luck on home run balls too, where there's a ton of fly balls get hit for home runs, and it's kind of bad luck hit right down the line or something. So that that's why they normalize that home run per fly ball rate in, into into xFIP. It kind of plays a paints a picture of hey. This guy might have a really high fit because he's been really unlucky on every single ball that got hit in the air was a home run. Whereas another guy might have a really low fit where they've given up a ton of hard hit fly balls, but you know they're hitting right right to center field and they're getting caught at the wall or whatever reason they they're not getting out. So uh, it could be a kind of a good estimator. And typically you kind of look at all three of those if they're pretty stable together, you're, you've got a pretty good judge on the pitcher what they're doing and. Um, you know, sometimes you can see like a pitcher that has a super high FIP and XFIP and has a low ERA is probably going to regress like Bryce Elder this year. You've got guys that have a really low ERA, I mean, a really low FIP and XFIP and a really high ERA. That ERA is probably going to get better. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the next one we want to talk about is. BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play. Uh, so this one can go for a pitcher and a hitter. Um, so batting average on balls in play measures a player's batting average exclusively on balls hit into the field of play, removing outcomes not affected by the opposing defense, namely home runs and strikeouts. So basically, for example, if a hitter goes two for five with a home run and a strikeout, he'd have a 333 batting average on balls in play. If he's one for three on the balls he put into play. 
or uh, which means he's one for three in that point because he hit one of them being a homer. Um, so the league average on BABIP is typically around 300 um, on both sides. So you can have the aspect of where pitchers and hitters on the same side. So the one example they say is uh, in 2019, Clayton Kershaw had finished with a lifetime of 270 BABIP while Mike Trout ended the campaign with a career of a 348 BABIP. So good pitchers are going to have lower BABIPs while good hitters are going to have higher BABIPs. The guy getting bit by Babbitt, I think, the most right now in um, Major League Baseball is Pete Alonso. He's sitting on a 203 yeah. Babbitt, which is, you know, like we said, about 100 points below league average. It's reduced his overall batting average to 226. His overall on base is down to 325. But he's a guy with a, you know, we'll, we'll go into it, but the, you know, Babbitt is a, it's kind of a luck metric in the sense that, you know, when you're hitting the ball, hard you can get it past the defense for a good bit a good chunk of the time a little pop-up may drop for you and right and that would be a you know a positive point towards your babbit you would expect it all to normalize and everybody would end up with a 300 babbit but that's just not the way things work out we utilize it for finding whether you know maybe someone is getting unlucky if you've got a really low babbit or you know if they've got a high ground ball rate but then also a really high babbit you would want to think that that's going to cut to normalize and their average is going to decrease so you know you need to look at other things but babbit is a really nice quick indicator of are they getting a little bit lucky because it it can be the just kind of the defense the defensive alignments and such that are suppressing their batting average and their overall production yeah, and another thing to, to note on BABIP is different players with different batted ball profiles have different BABIPs. Uh, it's kind of their baseline. Like somebody who hits a ton of fly balls that are, you know, in, in a lot of pop-ups, you know, that, that might have a really low BABIP. Like a lot of power hitters, like you think about like a Max Muncy type guy, like he typically is going to run like a 240 or 250 BABIP on a season. Like that's kind of his career average numbers at this point. But then you look at somebody like like a Ronald Acuna Jr. or um or, or somebody like that they they hit the ball they hit a lot of line drives they hit the ball really really hard and they got speed so they're gonna run a really high Babbitt so it kind of depends on the player too like some players have a you know a 350 Babbitt is is way higher than league average and it's and it's pretty high for a few players that's sustainable like like Freddie Freeman's a guy who hits tons of line drives and hits them pretty hard he that's pretty sustainable for him Ronald Acuna Jr. is another guy you talk about MVP players like and then you know you've got guys that hit you know a, a 250 260 babbit because they hit a ton of fly balls that, that you know if they're not home runs they're getting caught so um you know it, it can be relative to the player too absolutely it can uh so let's go ahead and jump over to wrc plus which is one you guys hear us use all the time uh so wrc plus uh was stands for weighted runs created uh, plus, obviously, they uh, so it takes the runs created aspect and adjusts that number to account for the important external factors like the ballpark or the era it, they are playing in. It's adjusted so WRC plus of 100 is league average and 150 would be 50% better than league average. And then, for example, a player who plays his home games at Coors Field with the higher elevation will have a lower WRC plus than a player who posts the identical stat line but in the pitcher-friendly ballpark of the Oakland Coliseum. So basically, if you have a, a ballpark factor where the ball flies a lot better, you're going to obviously have higher offensive production stats. And if you play in a pitcher-friendly park, you're going to have lower ones. Um, so basically, WRC Plus takes all of that into account and levels it all out so we can clearly see who's having a you know 
average to above average or below average season offensively. If I'm looking to give bite-sized statistics, I always want to mention the WRC+. Plus. It just relates everyone to the league that season. Uh, that's it. You know, that's all, that's all it is. Where do they play matters, and then who they're playing against matters. And that's all it is. Uh, and it's kind of just a weighted total of all the statistics, right? 65% better than league average. That's Mookie Betts right now. You know, 23% better than league average. That's Francisco Lindor right now. 123, 165. Very simple um, once you wrap your head around the acronym. All right, so the next one we wanted to talk about is WOBA, which stands for Weighted On-Base Average. Uh, So the definition of that one is WOBA is a version of on-base percentage that accounts for how a player reached base instead of simply considering whether a player reached base or not. The value for each method of reaching base is determined by how much that event is worth in relation to the projected run scored. An example, a double is worth more than a single. So their their, uh, instance was in 2014, a home run was worth 2.101 times on base, while a walk was only worth 0.69 times on base. So the player who went one for four with a homer and a walk would have a WOBA of 558. That's a complicated way to to describe it. I, I the easy way that I've kind of learned to, to understand what woba is is that it's a it's taking basically like on base percentage and slugging, so it's the two second parts, the triple slash, and and it takes them and, and combines them into one number that means you are you know it's just a are you doing good or are you doing bad, and you can kind of look at it as if you're looking at on base percentage. You know, is 400 is really, really good. If you're above 400, you're just, you know, a superstar, best in the league. If you're, you know, 350, you're rock solid, you're doing good. If you're 330, you're right at average. And if you're below 300, you know, then you're bad. And that that's kind of the easy way to, to think of WOBA is that it's a, a different way to look at on-base percentage. It just also adds the components of slugging in so to, to make it one round number. Yeah, it just basically means that, it, like, like it says, the double is worth more than a single and a triple is worth more than a double in that way. So um, it just basically in terms of the act, impact of scoring the runs, that's what brings Woba in over your typical like OPS or whatever. So uh, so the last two we want to talk about are just are basically defensive metrics. Um, this is where you see a big jump in the F4 and B war. One uh, website likes outs above average or OAA and one likes DRS or uh, defensive run save. So first talking about OAA outs above average, uh, it's a range based metric of the skill that shows how many outs a player has saved prior to 2020. OAA was an outfield only metric, but it has been expanded to include infielders. OAA is calculated differently for outfielders and infielders. Um, and basically it goes into how, um, the outfielders get the expected catch percentage and the actual catch percentage, uh, and that stuff's added to theirs, where the infielders have how far left and right and how much time they have uh, to make the play. Yeah, outs above average is a, a number that it's, – it's a good number. Um, it, it, it Basically, it, it says self-explanatory on the acronym, but – you know, a good outs by average is like 10 to 15. Like that would be like elite. Uh, Dansby Swanson currently leads Major League Baseball in outs above average at 14 uh, at a qualified players. And, you know, you can also go negative. So if you are Kyle Schorber, you have negative 16 outs above average, which is <laughs> pretty dang bad. Um, 
you know, uh, maybe not quite as bad as Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who has negative 12 while playing an easy position in first base. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a metric that, um, definitely, uh, it's definitely a good metric. The only thing that, that does kind of suck about it is that it doesn't include arm, which we'll talk about with DRS, but that, that takes a lot of value from some players who, you know, I think a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. who doesn't have a super high amount of range and doesn't get great jumps in the outfield, so StatCast doesn't love his range factors and stuff, but he's his incredible arm makes up for some of that. Not all of it, but some of it, to, to make him better defensively than outs above average would show. So I, I think that's something that is, um, you know, that, that needs to be incorporated a little bit better into outs above average, but it's th- this is what Fangraphs uses in their war calculation as well. So uh, part of the discrepancy is between the two different types of war is 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 that which metric they use so yeah so the last stat that we wanted to talk on is drs defensive run saved um and basically it quantifies a player's entire defensive performance by attempting to measure how many runs that defender has saved it takes into account errors range outfield arm uh and double playability uh it's slightly different than uzr in its formula but its concept is pretty much the same so basically drs uses um, data at a chart where the ball is hit, say for instance, center fielder sprints to make a nice catch on the fly, on a fly ball. Uh, and then say the similar fly ball gets caught 60% of the time that center fielder gains essentially a bonus point for difficulty. Um, and he can make a play and he loses 0.6. Um, so it, it basically divides it and gives a more in-depth way to evaluate the fielders than your typical defensive stats. And, and like we've said before, it, it includes the like arm strength aspect, which you don't get in the uh, outs above average. I want to note that outs, outs above average is very stat cast based. Yeah. Uh, this, it's a metric that came around directly from stat cast. It's based on where the, the players are standing to start and how far they had to run to get to the ball. And then the, the, you know, the expected batting average of the ball. So it takes into, into consideration, you know, the, the way the play was, you know, made on or the pitch, the play was made on. Right. So, you know, how, how hard was that ball hit? Was it just a pop-up or was it a line drive, you know, and that's the type of, you know, nuance you'll get with outs above average. And with DRS, you're getting that extra arm action and the difficulty of the play. There's a lot of variables, but both are good defensive stats. Neither is going to give you a full perfect picture of, of the, the way that anybody plays baseball defensively. And, and, you know, we do not have public, I think the same public knowledge as the teams do in terms of defensive evaluation, but both of these tell you, exactly what the teams do believe are the best players in baseball. And I think that's like, what's kind of the most important here, right? Is that Dansby Swanson went and got a, you know, big contract last year and this year he's, you know, because he was performing as a really, you know, elite defensive shortstop and he's doing that again this year. And that, that's kind of how you're wanting to these stats to work when, when you're looking at them is, you know, you got to take the whole picture into account. Right. Exactly. Uh, so that's basically our overview on these stats and that and um, on the, the ones that we use most of the time here. So hopefully that gave you guys a little bit of a better breakdown um, and a little insight onto the stats we usually say because we're rattling them, them off so fast all the time. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to our players of the week. Uh, so David, who do you got for your player this week? 
I'm going with a guy that the Cubs are currently playing against, and that is Spencer Torkelson. Uh, you know, I mentioned the, the C.J. Abrams breakout last week. I, I, I'm mentioning the Spencer Torkelson breakout this week. It's finally happening. Uh, he hit five home runs in this last week and had a 423 batting average, 500 on base, uh, 1.115 slugging uh, for a 327 WRC plus and a 640 WOBA. Go ahead and use our... Uh, our acronyms there, but you know, Torkelson's finally looking like the the kind of power hitter that he was kind of always pegged to be, and uh, it just took him a while. And and I kind of mentioned earlier that that development isn't really linear. Uh, Torkelson is the perfect example of that, right? He's needed a year and a half to kind of get his feet under him and and get comfortable in the batter's box. But of late, he's been very very good. Uh, he's really torching the baseball right now. It, it feels like the breakout is on and. I think Spencer Torkelson's going to be a really good hitter and a really dangerous hitter for a long time when all is said and done. But, you know, there are people who wrote him off just because he had a bad season on a bad Tigers team. And, you know, they, they wanted to make the playoffs last year and they wanted to make them this year. But but I think it's far more important that Spencer Torkelson gets right, uh, gets to a point where he can kind of finally be that superstar that he was drafted to be. Yeah, I like that pick. I've been kind of high on him all year compared to the consensus everyone talking about how much of a bust he is and but uh he's been um he's been you know he, he's improved this year there's a lot of things to, yep. to like with him um you know although he has to be like an elite elite hitter to because of his defense to be a really valuable player he, he's got a chance to do that um the guy i went with uh was a guy who has not been around uh in a while but uh, Dallas Keuchel is pitching for the Twins, which I did not know about until last week, and it was cool. I, I saw I was watching, you know, highlights on TV, and I saw the stat line, and I was like, wow, it kind of stood out to me. And Dallas Keuchel pitched six and a third shutout innings last week, uh, which was pretty fun to see. Um, you know, it's a guy who he's been through a lot the last couple of years, really struggled, uh, was basically the worst pitcher in baseball, I think last year maybe or year before last with the White Sox he was just he was unplayably bad uh, I think it was last year he pitched 60 innings had a 920 ERA uh, across three different teams um, so uh, man I had no idea he was a Diamondback and a Ranger last year so immaculate grid, grid legend right here but um yeah, I mean, the numbers this year on the whole in his three starts aren't great, but he had a, that great start this week, which was really fun to see. And, you know, I just wanted to shout out Dallas Keuchel, although there were probably a lot more guys that could have picked over him. That was a fun one to see. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I believe six of those innings were either no hit or a perfect game. It was one of the two. Um, and then he kind of started giving up a little bit there in the sixth. But, uh, but yeah, it is fun to see him back. Kind of fell off a cliff there. Um, so. Happy to see him back and uh, doing well or having at least a, a good start this week. So uh, the player that I went with this week was another pitcher, uh, and that is Jordan Montgomery. Had a two-start week. Uh, first one was against the Angels, six innings, uh, one run, nine strikeouts. Uh, and then his second one was against uh, Arizona, went eight innings, four hits, zero earned runs, six strikeouts there. Um, but I really wanted to highlight since the trade deadline, what he's done for the Rangers, uh, in his four starts there, he has a 173 ERA strike, striking out nine per nine, uh, and only walking one per nine there, uh, 173 ERA, like I said, 261 FIP and a 294 XFIP. 
Um, Jordan Montgomery has been a really underrated pitcher uh, for the Rangers. And I feel like he's probably been an underrated pitcher for a few years now. Um, he really performed when he went to the Cardinals last year and he's doing the same thing for Texas this, uh, this year, but a solid two start weeks against the angels and Arizona and the Arizona one eight shutout innings, um, was a big lift last night. So that's who I went with. Yeah. He, um, it's a good one. Yeah. I was gonna say, he's a guy that people are going to start trying to trade for him every year. Yeah. After the trade deadline <laughs> last year, he did the same thing for the Cardinals. Just went absolutely crazy, and he's doing the same thing this year. So maybe maybe let somebody bad sign him next year, and then somebody uh, who's a contender can trade for him. Yeah, I mean he's a, he'll be an under the radar free agent this year. Yeah, because um, he can't get the qualifying offer. Um, still, I mean, only thirty years old. He does have quite a bit of innings, but been a really solid performer for them. So, yeah, I'm interested to see that free agency period, but. Uh, so anything else that we want to wrap up on real quick before we head out? Any news notes, anything? I don't think so. Just uh, keeping an eye on the wild card races. The AL West race is getting really interesting. The NL Central race is still interesting. Um, I think everything else is kind of handled. The AL, AL East is still up for grabs at the top with the Rays and Orioles. But we kind of feel like the Orioles are going to take over there or, or continue to pull away there because of the issues the Rays have, but you never know with the Rays. So, uh, but definitely keeping an eye on those and uh, we'll see what happens this week. It's, it's going to be an interesting week. Yeah, I have, I have nothing. Let's, uh, you know, we're getting into it. Playoff season starting. Yes, it is. So we'll have a lot more of that here in the coming weeks. But thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Bat Flip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys back next week.